Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a long-term path to change. But before we do that, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community for people helpers. And you can find out more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. If you have benefited from the content presented on the PeaceWorks podcast, then I believe that PeaceWorks University is your best next step. Uh, PeaceWorks University offers a variety of resources that are delivered monthly as well as maintaining uh, a vault of past teaching. So, yeah, if you've been benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast, consider joining PeaceWorks University. So today's topic is about long-term paths to change. It it actually is specifically in the form of a question we received. I will, um, it's a longer question, so I'll just kind of cut through and read some applicable pieces Uh, The question's about long-term paths to change. Uh, My husband says that he's found God, uh, has a relationship with God, and that God is changing him, but is pushing back to uh, my request for continued counseling, group meetings, etc. By saying that God is enough, there seems to be an implication that long-term external work is not needed, and my suggesting additional work is not trusting in God. Uh, So what's it look like for somebody who continues to use the phrase, uh, because God, right? Um, How do you address um, this same pushback uh, from those in the church and the community? So seems like a couple things going on here. I I recall a few years ago, I was sitting in a meeting Uh, And I've shared this story on the podcast before, but I think it's applicable to this scenario. I was sitting in a a meeting discussing the opioid epidemic in my region of the country where we live. And the question was about our local churches coming together to provide resources. And one one group among us uh, was really not concerned or interested in long-term paths to care. In fact, uh, a few of us were interested in maybe recovery meetings, small groups, support groups, maybe some uh, long-term care facility partnerships we could build. And there was one group within our group, one small group, who was not in favor of those. They really were presenting and promoting a one-step program that individuals need to be um, converted and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then everything would be, you know, good from there. And and I don't deny that. I think there is definitely those times in which uh, the gospel and the Spirit of God manifest and produce in people radical, life-altering transformation, uh, immediate transformation. However, um, my experience would view that as the um, exception, not the norm. And so we never could really agree. We had to agree to disagree that it would be fine 
to pray over individuals and pray for deliverance, as it were, uh, but that the rest of us were going to continue to pursue options to help folks long term. And in, in much the same way, this does come up in abuse ministry. However, I would say we, we are much more skeptical regarding the instantaneous transformative manifestations in this work because even when they do occur, um, safety and wisdom would dictate that we wait, that we observe, that observable transformation is ideal and preferable to some instantaneous declaration. And in the question today, the the husband, in this particular case, um, is asking others, in particular his wife, whom uh, is the victim in this case, to trust a process that only he can verify, right? So even if, let's say that uh, transformation were instantaneous, supernatural, um, and, and powerful to that degree, which is totally possible, uh, the request for others to simply back off because God, right, is, I think, unreasonable and inconsistent with what we know of God and his expectations for relationships and transformation, especially what we would call progressive sanctification. So in this case, I think one of the things we're looking for, and I would hope this would be the case in some kind of miraculous, instantaneous uh, deliverance, would be an individual who would have a willingness to understand those concepts. An individual's willfulness to reject long-term strategies of care and confirmation is problematic, and that probably should be confronted and sounds like it is with little effect. <clears throat> that being said, the individual's resistance to that type of ongoing care and ongoing education is a red flag. It's something that I would hope that churches would, and the questioner is right, sometimes churches and church leaders, just like my friends who, who didn't want a broader approach to the problem, they wanted the one-stop shop, sometimes churches and church leaders support that kind of instantaneous, transformative um, response and then place the victim in a potentially dangerous situation by trusting the word of someone that previously was not trustworthy. Now, granted, does God make the untrustworthy trustworthy? He certainly does. Does he provide for um, the wicked to walk the path of the righteous? Absolutely. Is he asking us to sacrifice ourselves and others in order to um, prove that hypothesis because the offender says we should? Well, of course not. So there has to be a balance, and uh, abusers in particular are notoriously unbalanced. You know, the, the trust me more than yourself, trust me more than others, trust me more than God is not that uncommon. So in this particular situation and scenario, I would uh, see that as a red flag. Now that raised a couple other questions for me as I was reading this particular question, the but God question, that an individual has um, 
been converted and is claiming transformation but is unwilling to pursue further discipleship, I, I started asking myself seemingly related but a little, little, a little different questions such as when someone claims transformation, right, my, one of my questions would be transformed to what? Uh, or from what? Converted to what? And, you know, really consider what we've been seeing lately, what we've been learning about modern evangelicalism over the last 10, 20 years. And then asking ourselves this question, when it comes to the church in, in America, what are we converting people to? Like sometimes when we're in this work, we can really get trapped in a conversion and transformation conversation that is accurate and true to the experience of the people in it, but far afield from what Jesus calls us to. Here's what I mean by that. So someone comes to us that was abusive, um, power over, coercive, and they make claims of converting, being touched by the gospel, being drawn into redemption and pursuing transformation. And we accept that at face value without asking questions about the theological, doctrinal, positional, practical aspects that are part of that conversation. Because we've seen enough within modern evangelicalism that some of the concepts that we are calling people to repent from, that we believe the, the Bible, right, that we believe the Word of God is calling people to repent of, are actually being promoted in some of our circles, being conflated with the gospel. So that would be one thing I would also add to the checklist, is what are we, what are we being converted to? Are we being converted to a pseudo-good news that, reestablishes all of the things that were problematic in the relationship before? Is our version of the gospel calling, moving us from pride to humility? Or is it simply calling us to a more subversive version of pride, a more linear or hierarchical version of pride? Are we moving from power over uh, mindsets that have put our family in harm's way by demeaning them and destroying them into power under structures of servant leadership and love? Or are we moving sideways into a biblically reinforced version of power and control? One that says, well, as long as you operate within this framework, it's okay to be demeaning and destructive. And some may push back and say, Chris, is anyone really doing that? And I think my answer would have to be yes. I mean, what are we converting to? When I hear abusers talk about um, conversion and transformation, then one of the things I want to know is what gospel has been preached to them. Because there are many alternatives to the good news that sound good, that sound similar, maybe even evoke the name of Jesus, but doesn't leave an individual moving from this position of power into a place of humility. Maybe a, a second thing we can do when we're talking about and thinking about the process of change. So as we've been talking, right, that the process of change certainly isn't just to take the individual abusive person's word for it. The, but God, obviously you don't trust God the way I trust God because I believe he's transformed me. That's not how 
um, the faith operates, certainly not how relationships work. We really need to test and understand what an individual has been converted to. Because if it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we certainly should expect certain things that are consistent with support and empowerment as opposed to power and control. Things like humility and service and deference and willingness versus willfulness and surrender and submission and those wonderful things that come with knowing Jesus. As somebody comes into their faith, grows in their depth uh, and walk with Christ, we should expect the fullness of the Spirit to produce the fruit that was promised, patience and kindness, right? Uh, gentleness, these aspects of our character that run antithetical to abuse. And so simply asking others to trust in a conversion experience is not really what we're doing in abuse work. We have to put things to the test. So one of the things I might do is just really, what have you converted to? Because if it's a matter of, hey, I prayed a prayer so that I could exercise power and control spiritually with a little spiritual, you know, uh, Jesus seasoning on it, then that's not the good news. You haven't been converted to anything. You've just stepped sideways. You haven't walked forward. You haven't turned and walked in repentance. One way to do that, gang, especially as you're considering if you're a people helper, uh, one way to do that is to trace the journey, to trace an individual's steps. Now, this would not be something I would recommend a victim do. This is not a conversation that I think you're going to be able, one, be able to have, or two, be able to have effectively uh, without creating uh, potential danger or, uh, or discomfort. However, if you're a people helper and you're getting this pushback, well, I, I was cha- have been changed and my wife just doesn't believe it. She keeps asking for, for me to do all this extra work, and I don't have to do this work, right? Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's kind of the uh, the old brother where art thou moment. If you remember the Cohen brothers' version of the story, uh, old brother where art thou, the uh, Petey and Delmar get baptized. And um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's Delmar that, that says all his sins have been absolved. And uh, Everett reminds him that he may be square with the Lord, but not the state of Mississippi. Uh, Sometimes we have to really retrace that steps of transformation. What really happened? Because I I can't just say to you, and while it may be true that you're right with the Lord, while it may be true that you have confessed and repented, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that relationship's going to be restored completely, right? And there are aspects in which when is a liar no longer a liar? When is a thief no longer a thief? It does require work, patience, and time to observe that. So let's trace the journey. One of the things I might want to do is what are you being asked to convert to? And what are you being asked to convert from? And if the individual can only give me spiritualized language without practical application, then I want to teach that practical application in accordance with what the scripture says. And if the individual rejects that teaching because they don't want to put in the effort, the time, or the work in order to produce those fruits of repentance, then my question would have to be, are you truly repentant? Or are you simply looking for a sanctified, spiritual way to get what you want? 
So we want to trace the journey. So what are you being transformed to and from? How does that process look? That's one of the reasons why we have a path that we ask individuals to walk. Certainly it's not perfect. There's never going to be a perfect system. And human systems are always going to be flawed and and have their imperfections. But that's one of the reasons why we ask guys to walk what we call the W. Uh, the W being our process of um, information, transformation, and reformation. Uh, you, you've probably seen or heard the W through our talks about men of peace, and we'll be um, promoting and preparing some more material about that in the near future. But just to give you um, some information about that in confronting this, you know, but God did a work mentality. God, God does work. He, he works all the time uh, in us and through us. And he does it not just through an initial experience, but through ongoing progressive sanctification. And so in the W, what we ask of guys is first, information. We introduce them to the concepts of the dynamics and impact of abuse, placing them in that particular pattern, asking them to identify the ways in which they've harmed their wife, the the reasons why, the motivations behind that harm they perpetrated, and the impact that that had or may have had on their partner of other or others when they participated in it. So the information stage may be understanding aspects of domestic abuse, but then also acknowledging aspects in which we've committed acts of domestic abuse and recording those acts of abuse along with the intents and motivations of our heart that drew us to that and the impact, the effects. That leads us to the ownership or responsibility stage. That's the first pivot on the W, asking individuals to not just identify those um, behaviors, motivations, and impact, but to own them. To, to really say, yes, I confess, but I also own this. It is my responsibility. I wasn't provoked into this. It wasn't my dad's fault. It wasn't my circumstances' fault. I chose to do this. That's when we introduce um, the transformative aspects of the gospel by showing and, and allowing guys to interact with the uh, provisional, positional, and practical aspects of the gospel, and then calling them into repentance. You see, the difference there is in the W, what we're doing is, you know, what are we repenting of? What are we converting to? We're, con we're contrasting this heart of violence with the mind of Christ. We're contrasting our past behavior to that of Jesus. And so we have a real clear delineation of the expectations of the gospel on the life of an abusive person when they come into the faith. And then, of course, that leads us to the second pivot point, which in the W is surrender. So then it's a matter of, have I trusted Christ? Have I repented? Have I surrendered? Am I willing to grow and change and learn and submit? I want to abandon pride for humility, etc. And that leads us to the final piece, the final point on the W, which is reformation. And that's the ongoing discipleship, um, pursuing ongoing fruits of repentance. And um, that's what we tend to call the put-offs and the put-ons. Now, we create a structure 
simply because we think structure is helpful in moving from this kind of sin into a new kind of lifestyle. And I bring all that up because the question today of an individual who continues to reject long-term strategies with the simple excuse of, because God. Evidence is a couple things. First, that perhaps their heart has not been softened and changed by the power of God, or else there'd be a willingness, right? It, it reminds me of Second uh, Corinthians 7, where we're looking at repentance as godly sorrow, right? What earnestness, what zeal, what passion. There's a real desire in the repentant to set things right, and they don't get to dictate all of those terms. Um, there's a real matter of, what has this individual be converted to? There, there seems to be in the question that now that I have had my God experience, you have to do what I want you to do. Now we've got to have marriage counseling. Now we have to go on dates. Now we have to do the things that I want to do to get our relationship back where I want it to be. And those are some real red flags because it sounds like you're being converted to marriage restoration more than you are to restoration with Jesus. And really, that's the primary work, because an abusive individual has not just harmed their relationship with their partner, but they've damaged their relationship with God, if they had one at all. Because abuse runs in stark contrast to what Jesus expects us to be. So our primary work as helpers is not to simply take someone at their word when they say they've had an experience. Our responsibility as helpers is to restore them to God, either introducing them to Jesus through the gospel, right, or reconnecting them to their faith through the gospel. So the doorway is always the gospel, and it cannot be replaced with a cultural substitute for the gospel that continues to allow them to use power over, continues to allow them to operate in pride and anger, continues to allow them to act in wickedness as long as they say the right words, have the right doctrinal position, and do the right things. The gospel has to be transformative through the power of the Holy Spirit and will be evidenced, right, through the fruit thereof and the continued life change of the recipient. I hope that's helpful. Uh, I appreciate the question so much because we do have a lot of um, scenarios sent to us with the because God mentality, right? Because, because I prayed a prayer, because I walked it out, now you need to do what I want you to do. And that doesn't seem to jive <clears throat> with the process that we see in the scripture, um, that there are opportunities for us to observe that change, um, to evaluate the theology, to trace the journey, and to maybe even offer an alternative path, kind of like we do with the W, just something that's measurable and observable that confirms, right, the claim that really supports that putting off and putting on um, long-term transformation consistent with 2 Corinthians 7 and what we've talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us for the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, I once again want to invite you to head over to chrismoles.org uh, to learn more about PeaceWorks University and keep checking back on Men of Peace Org. You heard me talk about the W today. We'll be releasing um, a few more resources on the Men of Peace site as we get closer uh, to launching our new digital course uh, for men. Thank you once again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time.
God bless.